I am John Asak, and this is the brilliant and wonderful Hoyt Richards, my great good friend. Hi, Hoyt. Hey, John. How are you? Good to see I'm you as good. always. Yeah, now you've got to live up to the introduction. Oh, I know. My goodness. Yeah, that actually reminds me of the way the, the cult leader would introduce us. He had a way of inflating you in front of other people that, you know, was this, this exaggerated version of yourself that on one level you liked it. But on the other level, you knew you're being misrepresented. So it was a real push-pull that he put you in right from the get-go. So yeah, I yeah. am familiar. I'm familiar with the technique. Yeah. Well, I mean what I say. And I know you are. And I'm yeah. sticking to it. Okay. Well done. Well, it's a it's a it's a mutual admiration society. Yeah, definitely. And let's let's keep up with that. It's good for us. Yeah. Um so Oliver Wendell Holmes, um, the the thing about um friends forming mutual admiration societies i think it started with him he was a bit of a weirdo actually but we won't get into that he's <laughs> famous for the things he said but not his supreme court rulings quite so much I don't well, it's, yeah do, do uh do as i say not as i do right mm. that's, i think that's, yeah, that's one, of the, one of the challenges with parenthood you know you're always telling kids well don't do what i did it got me in trouble but you know it's like dude and kids like well you did it i mean it's a it's a quagmire i'm sure I, I like John Gottman's advice on that. I'm, you know, I'm very over the years been very impressed with John Gottman, and that's not true of all psychologists, I must say. And that he says, you know, when your kid has trouble, then think about a time when you screwed up in the same way and tell them that story. Yeah, I know. I, I completely agree with that approach. I think because because when you're when you're looking at it from the point of view that these are the the trials or tribulations that I went through to arrive where I am now. Why would I want to deprive my child of a similar trial, you know, trial by fire in order to, you know, how are they going to arrive to the place where I'm happy? Like where I am, you know, if they don't have their own challenges. So I can, I can understand the desire to want to, you know, protect your children from conflict. But I mean, my goodness, it just seems to be the only way we learn. Right. Yeah, and I think we, I think, I think it's a major way that we learn. I'm told that Sufis pray for hardship, because yeah, that yeah. is is. But I think we, you know, we we probably can learn from books, and I'm hoping from oh, yeah. podcasts. You know, yes, well, that's a good, I agree. Let's let's and that's and actually that's a great segue because I have a book that I wanted to talk about on our podcast right now. Uh, it's called Tribe by Sebastian Younger, and. Um, and he wrote um, the Perfect Storm and some other great books. You know, he's a he's a really interesting guy. But I got turned on to him through a mutual friend, and uh, and what I found is the book is all about kind of tribal communities and, and the role they play in societies and through history. And what I discovered, because the friend who gave it to me recommended that there might be things in it that I found that he thought it would, I would find relevant to my cultic experience. And, I, and I, that was exactly the case. And, and so I wanted to kind of go through, I made some notes and we'll kind of go through them. And I'd love to get your uh, you know, thoughts on it because I thought it was interesting. So, um, I mean, the, the, the basic premise, the way the book starts is just elaborating that as America was being um, settled, uh, you know, you had the Native American community and then you had the westerners and there was really only one direction that people would migrate from one culture to the other and that was for the westerners going into the tribal communities of the of the you know the native american indians which often and, happened yeah yeah it, it did happen a lot and 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 it was because they had a 
a much what they discovered and, and and what he talks about in the book is that type of individual would find a greater sense of community within the tribal community because you you when you look at the western world and how we can kind of accumulate wealth and position it's because of, of the isolated nature of the way the society has built even more extreme so to where we are now like the civilized world but when when you're in a tribal kind of nomadic community, you can only carry as much as you have. That's all, all that you have is what you can carry more or less. So it's a very even playing field and you only really survive based on everyone looking out for each other. Obviously, if you're gonna be greedy, you're gonna get reprimanded. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not pulling your weight, you're gonna be reprimanded. So there's this kind of self-correcting checks and balances that exist. And then there's this, um, real sense of purpose because if everyone's not pulling their weight, you know, the team can lose, so to speak. And so um, that was a big draw to a lot of people who felt they lacked purpose in their lives within the emerging Western community. So that's kind of how he starts the story, which I thought was really fascinating. And he poses questions like, how do you become an adult in society that doesn't ask for sacrifice? How do you become a man in the world that doesn't require courage? Because we get kind of insulated within the civilized world of whether it's policemen or the army or whatever, they all have their roles. So these the ways in the tribal community where you have to kind of go out and be initiated a ritual and kind of prove your bravery or courage, those haven't really existed in the Western world in a long time. And that's, that's a real pull. And I think cults exploit that, that, that desire to, you know, want to, do something that has, has importance. Once, you know, they, he says tribal societies can teach us about loyalty, belonging, and the eternal quest for meaning. Mm -hmm. This is a rare and precious sentiment. And I would say cults often position themselves the same way. That's what we're going to give you, you know? This is a chance to kind of um, create your spiritual family, you know? And, and, uh, and this, and he also draws these interesting. Uh, conclusions, which you just mentioned, one of them, he said, this is why for many people, war feels better than peace. Hardship turns out to be a great blessing. And even disasters are sometimes remembered more fondly than weddings or tropical vacations. Hmm. And, and he says, so humans don't mind duress. In fact, they thrive on it. But humans do mind not feeling necessary. And I would say cults exploit that as well. Absolutely, you know? yeah. And, and, go ahead. And that's what. And, but that, I thought that's what there was a, a really interesting way he kind of started into the story, you know. And and that's where I, you know, uh, he, he and this is where he was saying um, uh, American Indians lived communally in mobile or semi-permanent encampments that were more or less run by consensus and broadly egalitarian you know, democratic, classless. Individual authority was earned rather than seized and imposed only on people who were willing to accept it. Anyone who didn't like it was free to move somewhere else. A surprising number of Americans, mostly men, wound up joining American Indian society rather than staying with their own. And the opposite almost never happened. The Indians almost never ran away to join the white society. The immigration always seemed to go from the civilized to the tribal. Hmm. The intensely communal nature of the American Indian tribe held such an appeal that the material benefits 
of the Western civilization couldn't necessarily compete with. Yeah, so I think that's a really fascinating thing to look at. So just just that part, I'd be curious to get get the ATAC perspective on, on on what that what that says to you. How much time have we got? <laughs> yeah. Um, be, because this is an absolutely fascinating topic. I I um a few months ago read um Graeber and and Wengro, the dawn of everything. Oh, cool. Wow. And um, Graeber was uh, an anthropologist and Wengro is an archaeologist and they spent 10 years. I mean, Graeber is is well known for bullshit jobs, you know, pointing out that 30 to 40 percent of all of the jobs that people do in our society are a complete waste of time. And we could actually, you know, as um, John Maynard Keynes said in the 30s, by the 1960s, uh, people will only have to work 15 hours a week. We would only have to work 15 hours a week if we didn't have so many bullshit jobs. But that's another subject. And they 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 spent the time, it's called A New History of Humanity. And they basically challenge, you know, such pundits as Yuval Harari and mm -hmm. um, Jared Diamond and say, well, they haven't really understood history. You know, um, right. And here we are. And they show that rather than there being this, this kind of Victorian notion of a progression and evolution towards the perfection of capitalist society in the end of history, in fact, there have been many, many, many different forms of society, some of which have been very successful. I mean, I've for a long time have been interested in the Indus Valley civilization, which is in modern day uh, Pakistan, Mahindradaro. Um, okay which flourished for 700 years without priests, temples, kings, and appears to have been truly egalitarian, a truly democratic society. They also existed without warfare for 700 oh. years. A human tribe of some size. It would appear that in the Ukraine, and sadly archaeological digs have stopped in the Ukraine for yeah. interesting reasons, um, yeah. but it would appear there was a similar society there for quite some time that was peaceful. And so that notion of the warrior culture, but they point towards um, you know, that huge change in, in Western civilization that happened, which we call the Enlightenment, um, mm. you know, with people like Voltaire and Diderot and Rousseau is, is usually put at the beginning of it. And right. they show that, that this movement in thought seems to have been most influenced by uh, somebody from a, the First Nations, I'm told, are meant to say First Nations, not um, Native Americans, not American no. Indians, what have you. But it's hard to be politically correct these days. I mean no harm by whatever expression I give. Exactly. You know? exactly. Yeah, no. um, but the Algonquin up on the East Coast, the opponents, of course, of the Iroquois, um, we have the last of the Mohicans to, you know, right. the Mohicans were Algonquin um, and the Mohawk who wiped them out were, were Iroquois. Um, but there was an Algonquin called Kandirong who seems to have tremendously influenced Western thinking. And mm. the, the great surprise for them when they met Europeans, apart from the fact that they were dirty and they smelled, uh, which is talked about with the conquistador. You know, why would you want to have anything to do with these stinking people who sleep in their clothes? You know, ugh. so right, right. that's a thought, you know. 
Um, that was uh, Cortez when he was trying to persuade people to get together and attack the Aztec, um, which they talk about. But Candiron says, well, there's something we really don't understand. We are really good towards the members of our own tribe. We, we won't hurt our own tribe. You're abusive and awful to each other. On the other yeah. hand, if you're not a member of our tribe, we will torture you to death quite happily. Right. And enjoy yeah. it. You know, the women <laughs> join in. It's all a big family occasion, torturing opponents. But this this idea of the tribe, which I think you know, we talk about um, individualism as being a mm. European American view, whereas Asians have this thing about the family. You know, if you've you can earn back your mm. your family's um, pride by committing suicide in Japan. Uh, Arakiri or a seppuku, because you have taken honor back to the family. You have absolved the family of the guilt that, that you know, the shame that you've created. I think that's a bit extreme. Um, yeah. So I'm would, definitely would, not would, advocating. Would, sure, yes. Yeah. But there is this idea of, of community and that the Western communities became fragmented, authoritarian, uh, mm. sectarian. So, you know, one of the great arguments that was was roiling over with the invasion of Turtle Island, which I'm told is the proper name for America. What am I supposed to call it? You know, this is, <laughs> what's the politically correct term? Turtle Island. It's a very big island, you know. Yeah, um, I would say turtle so. Continent, you know. But and why turtles? You know, why not terrapins? Or is, is this discriminating against tortoises in some way? It's all very difficult stuff to deal with. We have this society where, yes, you have some nomadic warrior peoples. Um, the Apache are pretty ruthless people who come down from Alaska at about the same time that Europeans are invading and end up raiding the Pueblo peoples, the, you know, the Hopi and, and so on. So you have some fixed communities that are very pacifistic and very quiet. And then you have, um, I, I wrote a play which nobody wanted, about the Ponca, who were these people who found themselves attacked by both the Lakota, the so-called Sioux, yeah. and right. the Cheyenne, because they were an agricultural people. And they managed to fight off these people, but then the great white father decided he was going to send them to Oklahoma. And um, there was a fascinating court case, which one band of the Ponca won, so they were able to go home. Uh, that was in about 1875. And then it was oh. determined by the U.S. Congress that they were not people. So from now on, they were children. And the white people were their, the guardians of the oh peoples. And I think it was about 50 years that um, that, that, that was the case. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, and of course, then, you know, some of them got incredibly rich because they were on land that had oil in it and and they had to be wards of white people to get the money. And um, something is a, a, a wonderful book, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, I think it's called, which details the first major FBI case, which was where white people were killing off tribal people in the hope that they could inherit and take over. And they got away with it largely. So fascinating things where these cultures collide. Um, and the tremendous differences in them that you're talking about initiations and, you know, we still have the bar and bet mitzvahs 
in the Jewish right. faith. Right. So I have confirmation in the Christian faith. But when you compare it to what the Aborigines do, which is scaring the living daylights out of 13-year-olds with bull roarers and all sorts of things like that, and you know, there's a little bit of scarification can go on, it can get quite unpleasant. That 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 of, you know, how do I become a man? What what does a man represent? Right. Um I, I'm thinking about Thomas Berger and Little Big Man. The, mm. Which I watched, rewatched that film every couple of years, and I, I read Berger's amazing book, and he really did study the Plains people to to understand, and so many things in their culture that they accept that are that are transsexual, that that a man can, um, a warrior can actually have five wives, one of whom is a man, biologically, but you don't, so you don't have to go through the right. initiation, you don't have to. But to be a, a brave, the European term for it, um, you have this, you know, there are acts of courage. There's um, cutting coup where, where you're, you're in a battle where you're striking people, but not mm. actually hurting them, but counting coup rather. How many times you manage to strike the person? And right, right. There, there's, you know, then you have something like, say, A Man Called Horse, uh, the movie, which is accurate. Yes. There, there was a, a situation where Sitting Bull, the great medicine man and, and chieftain of, of the Lakota, um, he was unable to attend a battle because he had inflicted 118 wounds upon himself um, as part of his religious belief. You, know, wow. you have also the great Crazy Horse, the man who was only ever injured by people coming behind him. The, the the cavalry and ultimately he went under a a a, a, a truce flag a, a parley flag and was murdered by um u.s cavalrymen yeah. and and he's a, yeah they're incredible you know for me as a boy you know these were you know, these are these are heroes you know the these figures of you know tremendous valor um looking at it a bit more deeply um these are not cultures that i think I think we need to understand it's almost as if every culture has a piece of the puzzle mm. and we've brought together the wrong pieces, you know, the, the warrior culture right. which should be um, a positive and affirmative thing uh, in the defense. And I have met soldiers who really did have this ethic, you know, that they, they had become soldiers because they wanted to defend people. But most of the soldiers I've met, that's not, they wanted to go out and, beat people up after they got drunk you know which is not necessarily as honorable so um yeah uh what else i, I made so many notes for you talking yeah well no i mean it, it, it's it's you know it's it's interesting because you know the, the the other thing he brought up uh you know at this point in the book he says you know he says the puritan leaders of new england found it particularly galling that anyone would turn their back on the christian society so like you know these people leaving and an early puritan named uh which interesting name increase increase matter yeah they know things like prosperity and yeah, exactly. yeah. So increase matter complained in a tract called discourse concerning the danger of apoc apoctasy how do you say that it's defection you know apoctasy mm -hmm. you know that word apostasy yeah. or apoctasy. apostasy that's the yeah, apostasy so it's defection or abandonment i looked yeah, it up leaving your faith and, and he spent his entire life combating and criminalizing anyone who uh, had any sort of relaxation of the puritanic moral code 
And, you know, and obviously cults do that same sort of thing. You know, they you set up the rules and you are just going to be crucified if you don't follow the rules. Um, and, and But then when it comes to this movement between the civilization and the tribal community, he said it was really a, a feudal battle. The nature of the frontier was it kept expanding beyond the reach of the church and state. And out there and on the fringes, people tended to do what they wanted. Mm. You know, and, and so that was a very appealing to a lot. When you've got a very structured, controlled environment and i think you know what's so interesting the way the, the 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 seduction into a cultic environment very often people do feel they've been possibly constrained by whatever environment they grew up with and and they're looking at the cultic um situation as an opportunity to be relieved of that and they end up joining very, another controlled you know, kind of a oppressive society under the guise that they're going to they're going to be you know, it's kind of like we're promising you that we're going to pull you out of the matrix, but this new society you're going to be in is going to be even more controlled. It's a green pill. <laughs> exactly. But 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 as far as like how the hook works, that's the temptation that they're 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 you know, and I think it's the same thing like like you're talking about, you know, it's it's really easy to kind of um create a fantasy around these, uh, you know, Native American, First Nation tribes, whatever, that they had all these one, but they were also very, you know, my God, violent. And and like you said, the torture was a huge thing. Like they would do horrible things to each other. So so it can't just be whitewashed into some some beautiful thing. And that's all it was, because there were also some, some atrocities being done. But I think the way cults kind of positioned this, kind of tribal sentiment of what they're creating this spiritual family it's very much based on a lot of those positive attributes that you would describe a tribal culture by you know where where this you know the, like the idea of a commune is very much a tribal community right i mean we all own everything it's just like that society that you were talking about in pakistan i mean you know the you know they, they're they're doing all of that you know, without wars and, and, and with people getting along uh, for hundreds of years. So it can happen. So I think, I think as a, as a, as a temptation, it really is something that obviously I don't think you're conscious of it when someone's um, presenting it to you, but upon the presentation of it, it, it has an inherent appeal because the idea of being, you know, moving towards a sense of freedom from something that you're initially perceiving your own, your current situation as being very, uh, you know, constrained or even in prison, that, that that's going to be something that's going to, you know, uh, get people to be interested. And, mm -hmm. and once, like anything, once you get the first hook in, the second one goes in a lot easier. As, as I say, once you, once you've said yes, it's much easier to say yes again and much harder to say no. You know, and very much just, so, yeah. That's just the way, uh, I don't no. think it's true, but as Cat Stevens and Rod Stewart said, the first cut is the deepest. In terms of cuts, probably not. But once, you know, once you've, it, it's like, you know, if you do something wrong and bad, right. then the next right. time it will be easier, uh, unfortunately, um, be, because there will be no struggle with your conscience anymore. You know, you've you've right. now done the, the awful thing. I, th I think, you know, at the center of everything is, is the authoritarian notion that, um, people who believe they should be worshipped and that they are perfect in their understanding who want to stand above us and piss on us basically and people who want to be pissed on um 
that that we have leaders who believe themselves to be divine in some way right that they should have authority over us that we should do as we're told because and any idealist can become an ideologue so they shift from having some ideal that they want to represent right. to then enforcing that um, right i presume that's, that's, that's a very very powerful statement you're just saying i think that's exactly right yeah and it would incre increase mather you you say he was called yeah, increase mather yeah exactly he's, yeah. he's probably cotton mather's dad or something so the the more famous mather um, who was also yeah. a horrible puritan and yeah. <clears throat> this where tribalism is opposition. I mean, the first statement that the Cherokee that is recorded as making to, to a Spaniard uh, was our people exist to fight war. Mm. That's what we're here for. And you then, um, Frederick, Frederick Engels, uh, who funded Karl Marx and was a co-author of, of various things with Karl Marx, um, put forward the notion, which is still parroted by Marxists, that the Iroquois with this wonderful society because they're a matriarchy. And I think that is an example for us all. They were a matriarchy. Yeah. Um, and the torture among Iroquois. Um, I read the Commissioner for Indian Affairs around about 1900 wrote the first examination of the Iroquois people. And it's fascinating. I mean, I was besotted with these people. They're, they're really quite fascinating. Um, and obviously, there is a high degree of intelligence there, which is something that tends to be, well, we Europeans are the intelligent ones, you know, <laughs> not really, um, yeah. not really at all. Um, so, but the descriptions of torture in that book, you know, so you take well, a, you've captured an opponent, and right. you tie him up and you chop a piece of his flesh off and you roast it and you feed it to him. And if oh, you won't well, eat it, you torture him some more. And you end, well, I don't think we should emulate that aspect of European no, society. No, exactly. And that's a, mate, that's a matriarchy. That's totally run by women. So the idea of men versus women, which is right. so current in Western society, I right. do not see that at all. That There are people who, you know, Indira Gandhi sterilizing loads of people, Golda Meir, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher, it's not about being male or female. It's about having attributes of care and concern, which we tend to find more in, in women than, than in men. But it, it's those good attributes and how we can nurture that. Exactly. Well, you know, and he actually mentioned some of these torture techniques in the book. And he says, uh, like, uh, people being disemboweled and tied to a tree by their own intestines. That's always fun, or, though, isn't it? You know, especially yeah. on a Friday evening when you've had a few to drink. You know, you know bl blistered over a slow fire. You know, yeah. It's a, uh, uh, hacked to pieces and fed to the dogs. Hmm. And the Spanish, you know, in, in the Spanish Inquisition, infidels were buried alive, broken on the rack, sawed in half lengthwise from the crotch, or well, impaled. Goy is to be believed. Yes. There, yeah. there was a picture or impaled slowly on a wooden stake from the anus to the mouth. Yeah. Always wow. a good, yeah. Always a good, yeah. But they didn't have the movies, did they? You know, so they had to do something when they were bored. It it yeah. it said that Voltaire, I've read that Voltaire was the first person to complain about institutionalized torture in, in the European states. And of course, hanging, drawing, and quartering meant that you'd be hung at the beginning of the day 
until you couldn't really, you know, you, you wouldn't be killed. And then you'd be drawn, your intestines would be pulled out of you and they'd be burned in front of you. And oh then at the end God. of the day, you'd be quartered, which would be when you were finally killed. Oh, right. When they take the four courses, right? And they, well, and they... No, they, they chop that. That's um, spread eagling, which is a, a Viking oh, okay. punishment. You see, we've got the wrong torture set here. Quartering was done with an axe, I believe, but I'm, oh, okay. I'm sure one of our viewers will have done it and will be able to describe the technique exactly. But this was something that people went out to to go and see. And as I say, with the Iroquois or the Algonquin, this was a family affair. I mean, the women were involved in doing this also. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, and, and I think and I think that's what's important to include that, you know, again, you, you can't look at this tribal concept and, and think, oh, well, it's just all rainbows and gumdrops. It all sounds great. But the way it gets used, I certainly know, like with my group, is this idea of community. And 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 he actually talks about it a lot in the book. The, the book about how in the in a in a in a more tribal environment, there's there's much less mental health issues, and uh, very often it's tied to the fact that there's this sense of community that's engaged in a cause together that tends to suppress a lot of the mental issues you have when you're very individualized, like we talked about in society, and you're feeling a lack of purpose and you don't have a place in your community, that leads to all sorts of mental problems. So the fact that you have a very clear-cut, definitive role within this community tends to curb a lot of the mental health, which I thought was really interesting. That role may be that you're the idiot, <laughs> that, that you're the person who is denied certain rights, who's laughed at, who's you know, which was, again, a commonplace in European society, um, visiting the Prado in Madrid and seeing the amazing, incredible Velázquez room where he's got the um, the dwarfs, the men of pleasure and the cretins and their portraits of these people who would mm -hmm. amuse the king by by being dwarfs, men of pleasure, I'm not really sure what that means, or, and cretins, <laughs> deformed idiots. Oh, um, right. And he, they're, they're incredible portraits. I mean, just one of the, the greatest wow. painters of all time. Um, but you see, that that was the idea that, you know, in, in our notions of political correctness and wokeness at the moment, it is right that we're looking at, you know, we shouldn't be calling people ugly and fat um, and yeah. those sort of things. And these societies, you knew your, your place in them often. So it, it was not necessarily a tolerant and pleasant thing. But yeah, as you say, depression doesn't seem to exist outside of industrial society. But, yeah. um, and I think part of that is also that industrial society created a situation where there are always the those at the fringe of the society who can't make ends meet. You know, right. you know, um, I, I've, the last year or so, I've been reading a lot about slavery um, because of it. The notion that we should be paying reparations to somebody or other for slavery. Our Labour Party, New Labour, as they think. Oh, they, they, no, they, they've uh, they've got this in in California, and I believe the latest bill is is like they want to give each individual who qualifies. I think it's like three point four million dollars and forty acres of land. Yeah, and it. And how do you qualify? Because genetically, and this is a horror, and, and yeah. I don't like it, but I have no slavers' blood in me. I can trace trace my ancestry back. 
and you know in, in since modern slavery began with christopher columbus um, yeah. none of my ancestors were involved in this i very much doubt there are many african americans who can say that because sadly their ancestors yeah. were raped by by slave keepers and we, right. but, but the other part of that was looking at the conditions for anybody and everybody and i've been reading around that and um there's a wonderful book by linda holly called captives a historian and she's talking about the experience of uh, english and then british people um the amount who were taken as slaves i mean about a million white europeans were taken as slaves by the arabs um, right. corsairs used to raid the south coast of britain and take whole villages off and sell them off they also took far more africans um over the years than than were shipped to the americas 10 to 15 million were shipped to the americas appalling but 14 to 18 million were taken by the arabs the arabs are not going to have to pay any reparations because they castrated the men so they have no descendants Wow. Wow. We then look at the conditions, say, for British soldiers in India and sepoys, native soldiers. It was forbidden to use the lash on them, whereas British soldiers were whipped to death in, right. in some occasions. They were also, of course, none of them were expected to fulfill their 20 year term and get home. They would die while they oh, were really? there. Oh, oh, it was pretty accepted that you would not survive your term? Yeah. yeah. Very very few if any infantrymen returned home uh, there was no leave you weren't allowed that and the conditions were horrific if you then take a look at i mentioned friedrich Eng engels um he was an industrialist which is how he was able to fund marx and there's a snappy title the condition of the working classes in manchester in 1844 which as i've said elsewhere should be a bg's album um they did a song called New York Mining Disaster 1850. You know, so I, I think that would be a great title if, if anybody wants to resurrect the beat. There's only one of them left, isn't there? Now? But Engels is talking about conditions in 1844 in Manchester, in this country, that, that are every bit as bad as the conditions in which slaves were being kept. So we get to a really difficult situation, which is that what we would like to change is this there are more slaves in the world today than ever before there are as many slaves in india today as were traded to the americas through the whole 200 year period of slavery there are 14 million slaves in india we don't even have sanctions against them so, so, we're so, trading with them you know so how how does a slave get like who owned a slave in India? Like I'm, I'm not even familiar how this works. Uh, oh, if a family want a maid, and um, I, I am related to an Indian family because my right. one of my sons is married to a, a, a lovely, um, very smart Indian woman, and right. so I've talked with her directly about this, and it's like, yeah, you buy, you can buy somebody for life. Um, yeah, <laughs> there you own them then, and. Um, you can treat them the way you want to treat them. The courts won't won't do anything to protect them. Um, there are forty million slaves in the world. I, 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 I'm not aware of that. I don't think people are aware of that. Would you, and that's I the mean, United Nations figure, by the way. It's not, um, wow. and it's gone up five million in the last ten years. Um, why don't we look at creating a society without slavery? A society without poverty without 
starvation and start looking at, you know, I think enough money was spent on the Y2K bug I recently yeah. read, to actually feed all of the poor people in the world for a year or something. Oh, with, with everyone buying generators and storing food and all that stuff, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and you know, instead of somebody going, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll write a chip that's a, a year ahead and see if it falls over when 2000 yeah. happens. You know, it's not a difficult problem to solve. But I read that $400 billion was spent on that. If you yeah. then look at the trillion dollars spent on the Iraq war, that these vast expenses, and rather than, you know, of course, we could say huge amounts of money have been poured into Africa. Right. Um, to to the new democracies in Africa, and so much of that money went into Swiss bank accounts, led right. by you know terrible people like you know Mugabe, right. and uh, so it's a matter of how do we create an equitable society rather than a society where white males such as you and I are guilty for what was done by our great 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 grandparents, and in my case, it wasn't done by my great grandparents. Um, yeah. How do we balance that out? We we have a, a a BBC reporter called Laura Trevelyan, who is now you know she she and her family realizing that they're in in the book, um, they've given a hundred thousand pounds to Grenada and they've apologized. Well, the book is in this country uh, in eighteen oh seven slave the slave trade was abolished, and the British Navy, the West Africa Squadron, was sent out to stop slavers. Um, mm -hmm largely Brazilian slavers and American slavers at that time. The US actually followed suit and banned the trade not so long afterwards, but you could still own slaves and breed them. And so in 1834, 33-34, in Britain, that the whole slavery itself was abolished. Now, it had been abolished in the 18th century. You couldn't hold, have a slave in Britain. That was illegal, but you could have them in the West Indies. And there are all sorts of interesting cases around that. But so in 1834, it was determined that, that there should be no more slaves. And it, it's worth saying that outside of Denmark, nearly every other country in Europe resisted this. The Spanish, the Portuguese, um, the French particularly, um, actually were doing all sorts of deals to keep running slaves. Then, of course, South America broke away from Portugal and Spain. Right, and they right. kept on doing it. Um, but in 1838, it was decided to buy all of the slaves from British owners. And there is a book that lists how much was paid to every individual. Oh, really? The largest wow. amount of compensation ever paid by the British government. The loan taken for it, I think, finished being paid in 2002, taken in 1838. And people say, well, but the slaves got nothing. And that's fair enough. But that is a fair complaint. But they did get their freedom. They were mm -hmm. offered uh, travel back to Africa, to uh, right. Liberia and Sierra Leone, um, mm -hmm. which turned out to be nightmare countries. Um, and it's worth putting into the account that if compensation had not been paid, they would not have been released mm -hmm. because, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to send the British army to kill the slave owners in the West Indies, and we're not going to get any more sugar. You know, what's going to happen? Right, 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 right. The complexity of this question, as with so much of this awful 
a friend of mine a few months ago, a really smart friend of mine, shocked me by telling me he was woke. And I said, why? He said, well, because if you're not woke, you're fascist. And it was like, oh, so we, we're into this good and yeah. evil, black and white dichotomy. Exactly. I don't believe this. I won't, I won't live that way. Yeah. And I won't be held guilty and accountable for something I didn't do. Exactly. No, I, I, it's, it's the same old, all or nothing, my, my way, the highway. If you're not on my side, then you're the opposite. It's a, yeah, it's, it's as old as time and, and so, so destructive. Yeah. And, no. and it's cultic. It's, it, you know, it is. It's completely cultic. That, that's why, and we talked about it a lot in our other talks, you know, the shades of gray is so important, you know, to look at it and, and, and recognize. I actually had a conversation recently with someone about this whole idea of evil. And I said, listen, I, I, I think you get into semantics about a lot of this, but I said, I, I, it's not that I have an issue with describing that someone's acts of cruelty could be described as evil, but to say like evil exists as if outside, like there's good and evil as to come on. You know, I said, it, it's clearly, there's a myriad of stuff in between. It's a much more complex issue than just, oh, it's evil and it's, it's good. I can't go down there. And, but that's what the cult taught me, you know, that, that, that black and white thinking. So yeah, I mean, we both, obviously those, that's like ding, 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 you know, red, the, the red flag goes up. And uh, you know, it's it's fascinating to just kind of think about how that is so prolific and still to this day. And just what you're saying that, and you didn't, you know, and not even knowing that what you told me about what what's happening in India. But then I am aware of, of course, you know, the underground crime world of the sex slaves, and people are literally still buying people for for as as a sexual toy, so to speak. And, and in the U.S. of A. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and apparently I've heard, you know, you know, like on the dark web, you can literally go order whatever whatever type of person you want, age, shape, you know, color, you know, hair color, whatever, you know, it's just it's unbelievable. And, and there's a tremendous is... amount of agricultural slavery. Far far more people are being traded as laborers and find mm -hmm. themselves, you know, we have a tremendous influx of Albanians into this country. And of course, yeah. at the other end of the deal, you know, modern slavery, human trafficking, they're being told you'll have this wonderful new life. You know, once you join our cult, everything will be yeah. fantastic. And then they get here, they don't have a passport and they can't right. complain about being paid two dollars a week. You know, we had yeah. a case of, of some man who'd been kept in a shed for sort of 30 years or something. So even here, where there is a fair amount of policing and concern, we we fall down and have, yeah. and i think putting putting the attention on us i they're, they're kind of twittering machine um i'm going to use paul clay's term for it not twittersphere the twittering machine where you have this you've got this many words to say how much you hate the person you're attacking that yeah. all that anger all that rage if you can't have um a conversation with somebody you've become a fanatic if your emotions overwhelm you to such an extent that you need to insult and attack people rather than converse with them, you've become a fanatic. And that's what a cult member is. That's somebody who's, you know, they they can't sit and reason it through. I've had situations where I sat with people whose, whose view of the world I thoroughly and absolutely disagreed with. And I've talked with them and they've changed their minds. That's happened to me throughout my life. And yeah. I'm very pleased about that. 
You know, I had yeah. a guy who told me he hadn't talked to his sister for two years because she was a druggie. And when I said, what's the drug? Expecting, you know, heroin, crack, cocaine, whatever. He said, cannabis. And I said, so you haven't talked to her for two years. And we sat, and as he drank five whiskeys, mm. and I was drinking orange juice at the time, um, he, we talked about drugs. And I said, well, there's a differentiation between hard and soft drugs. A hard drug right. is an addictive drug. A soft drug right. like cannabis is not addictive. Right. Um, if you give up coffee, then you'll get a headache because it's right. a hard drug. It's an addictive right. drug. And from behind the bar, it's late at night, we're in a tiny hotel and forgotten she was there. The, the barkeep said, my husband stopped drinking coffee last week and he's had a headache all week. I said, there you go. Yeah, the, next, right. the next day, and I said, you know, and what you're drinking there is a hard drug. At yeah. Scotch, it's a hard drug, you know, alcohol. Right, right. Um, right. The next day he found his sister. Now, if I'd taken the attitude that I see so frequently around me of saying, you're an idiot not believing what I believe. I've got a megaphone and you can F off. We wouldn't really have got anywhere. Right. And, and seeing that and, you know, the, the, the rise of the hard right, as we're now beginning to call them, the, the you know, fundamentally Nazism on the mm. one side. And on the other side, this, you know, I was very interested to, to find that... Um, in the US in, I think, 1882, there was the Chinese Immigration Act, and it forbade Chinese people from immigrating to the United States. Anybody else could do it, but we don't want any more Chinese. And one of the groups um, that uh, rose up against the Chinese was the American Socialist Party. So the idea that there's right and left, I, I, no. That's yeah. that's good and evil. That's black and white. There isn't right and left. There's and there aren't just shades of grey. There are lots and lots, tens of thousands of colours as well. Oh yeah, of course, yes, yes, of course, and yeah. To try and understand things in those terms and say, do you? Yeah, it's like people who say they're patriots, but they'd quite happily kill anybody that voted Democrat or Republican <laughs> or what have you. It's like they're not patriots. They are yeah. members of of a cult group that will oppress other people. So I think the first condition is to have compassion for our species, mm, yeah. for humanity yeah. in general, and, and to push away this idea of that there are different races or different, you know, we're all the same species. There is one yeah. race of human beings. It's our weakness because it means like the Cavendish banana, and there's only one species of banana too. We are vulnerable, whereas... Yeah. You know, beetles, tens of thousands of different beetles. You know, you might wipe one out, but the others all persist. And until we recognize that unity, that family connection, that tribal connection that we share, which many people have talked about in the past. You know, yeah. Charlie Chaplin said he was a patriot for all mankind. I think Einstein pretty much said the same. You know, while we're still saying, well, you're Jewish or you're Muslim or you're yeah. atheist or, or you're black or yellow or what have you, we are totally missing the point about the future of our species because we are going to make it make the, the planet a very difficult place to live as long as we ferment this hatred and put aside reasoning just because of how strong our feelings are. 
Right. And because and because you look differently or you believe something differently than I do. And that and that's enough. I mean, I mean, it, it, you just it's as obvious as in the culture of dogs. You know, they all came from the wolf. Yeah. And yet you've got all this myriad of, of of different breeds out there now. And yet we all know they're dogs, mm-hmm. you know, and that they all arrived from from kind of a, a single kind of species that then mushroomed into all these varieties so how's it any different for the humanity yeah and and we get to natural selections we get to sexual selection where you've right. got the choice there's a right. study with um, birds of paradise uh where they normally have an 18 inch tail this particular species and they cut one of them in half and they stuck it on another one and they followed three birds through the breeding season. So one of them's got this poor nine-inch tail. Okay. One's got an 18-inch tail, and one's got a 27-inch tail, and he got a lot more tail than the others got. And you go, <laughs> now, if if birds of paradise are that stupid, that, you know, what's, what's what we want? Oh, we want a huge tail. And human <laughs> beings, of course, are, you know, we you get a group who want particular attributes, and right. that could be pointy teeth which are black and not right. talking about the Inuit tradition here. It could be any damn thing. Right. And the point is that in looking at humanity, I see that there are tribal groups. There was a swap done, you know, in the old days of anthropology when you could do evil and wicked things. Right. It took, I think, two people each from two tribal groups in the Amazon. One group known for its pacifistic ways and the other pretty hardcore and they swapped them over and they found that the people that they swapped over became like the culture that they joined Mm. so so much is it's not necessarily genetic it's not necessarily written into us that we have horrible there's a lot that's cultural that's you know if you have a good system of justice and a good educational system we can but we don't, you know. Right. Oh, well, it's yeah, it's the nature versus nurture argument, right? I mean, you know, all of that, you know, and, and the element of peer pressure and the uh, idea of conforming, you know, to fit in, you know, the survival of the species. Hmm. Um, and given that yeah. epigenetics and that, you as our friend Yuval Noah says, genes are not read only. You know, Richard yeah. Dawkins is utterly wrong about that, uh, as Yuval's mentor. Ever Yablonka has shown. We were talking about what kind of society would really work, you know. And, and one of the things this guy younger talked about, he goes, the temptations of the native life, one of the most compelling might have been the fundamental egalitarianism, which we've talked about, right? Private property was limited to whatever could be transported by horse or foot. So gross inequalities of wealth are very difficult to accumulate. Social status for men came through hunting and war which they all had access to, women had far more autonomy and sexual freedom. Because of these basic freedoms, tribal members tended to be exceedingly loyal. They never experienced treason against the tribe and cowardice was promoted, was punished by death. Mm-hmm. It was a simple ethos that promoted loyalty and courage among uh, over all virtues and considered preservation of the tribe almost a sacred task. And so I think... Those elements again are what are very appealing to go as 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 an antidote to what we experience in our normal lives. And cults tend to promote themselves somewhere uh, quite often. My group was somewhere around that, you know, this kind of 
of uh, alternative lifestyle to what you grew up in. And it's very often pointed like that was the wrong way and this is the right way, right? It's in that black and white way of thinking and that's the matrix and we're pulling you out of that. And I think, you know, it's, it's helpful for someone who, you know, has this curiosity of wondering like, how, how do you get pulled into that? You know, I think as we're saying, there's a lot of values that get represented in that kind of idealized form of a tribal community that can, you can exploit someone because you, you would want things to be, you know, better handled that way. And, and the fact that it could be an even playing field and people really did pull together to help out one another. Unfortunately, those are the hooks on the way in. And that's not generally how it ends up proving to execute in real life as it plays out. But that's, that's why I say to a lot of people, it's very often a bait and switch scenario. Which I will never beat myself up for what I signed up for and the, and the pitch that I bought into. Now, what it actually was that I got involved with was something vastly different. And it only took me 20 years to figure that out, but I did. And, uh, and I'm grateful for it, but I think, I think it, it helps explain how it happens. Um, you know, uh, and the other part he's, he brought up, he said, so why was Western society so unappealing? And on a material level, it's clearly more comfortable and protected from the hardships uh, of the natural role, but as societies become, become more affluent, they tend to require more than less than less time and commitment from the individual. And it's possible that many people feel that affluence and safety simply aren't a, a good trade for freedom. So I think that's a really interesting point, right? You know, it's like, you know, we, we all talk about all the wonderful, you know, um, material acquisitions you can in Western, you know, or civilized world. But then when, when someone says, well, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't measure someone by the kind of car they drove or the house they live in or the clothes they wear and that there was, and there, and, and I think that's, a, again, a certain appeal. It's like, if you're seeking a spiritual life where you're not, you know, you're, there's this kind of um, pushback on the material world as far as like what it represents and, and, and pursuing things that are far more, ego driven rather than something that's more kind of humanity driven as we're describing then you can make a very valid argument and that's how you uh you know it, it says the early humans would most likely have lived in um nomadic bands of around 50 people which is my group was around 50 to 100 people they would have been utterly intolerant of hoarding or selfishness they would have done almost everything in the company of others and they almost would have never been alone so you, you know, you, you, you know, it's a give and take, you're giving up your privacy, but then you've got a community, um, you know, and I think these are all certain things that play factors into why people get involved in groups like, you know, like you or I get involved with, you know, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not clear cut, but it certainly, I think it helps explain how we find ourselves and, you know, what, what, what triggers they push that made it appealing to consider this lifestyle that ends up unfortunately not playing out so well, but in its idealistic form, it sounded pretty interesting as an alternative to what we grew up with, you know? Yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, a, a very serious dynamic. I, you know, I think that the, the view that is being presented there is of nomadic tribes. It's not, right. say, the Pueblo peoples mm -hmm. um, who had a pretty successful society and could accumulate wealth. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I, 
it's a matter of you know we we're children of the 60s we we what we what came before us was the hippie idea which right. is the very entitled kids who anticipated that everything would be given to them on a plate who were born to people who had suffered through the horrors of war yeah, two world wars yeah right i mean my my father served for seven years um from 1939 through to 1946 he was there at um dunkirk wow. and saw what happened there he was there at normandy wow. and he was there at the liberation of belson and so having kids you know you know the, the political statement made by harold mcmillan our prime minister was you never had it so good and it happened to be true when you look back at the squalid housing the awful conditions of the period between the wars and and the transition that happened afterwards that that mm. we do have a more prosperous society sadly to some extent because of denuding the third world of of the oppression against people there and and the profits made and and poured into the western countries but the idea with the hippies was was yeah you know we're gonna have peace and love we're not going to fight war anymore there's going to be a lot of free love um mm -hmm. which i'm something i'm kind of glad i didn't ever get involved with um whatever but somehow the world is going to produce stuff and we're going to get it and out of that came some very positive and good communes um which you know have origins in the 19th century in the us where these idealistic ways of life um were being developed uh so you know the shaker group for example who who gave us shaker shaker furniture which costs a fortune and invented yeah, yeah. the washing machine i'm told but they believed in absolute celibacy and when they were forbidden from taking children from orphanages anymore they died out oddly enough but there was this sense of self-realization self-actualization that that became so powerful in in western society and lured us into groups that were saying yes look at the establishment look at the horrors of vietnam or or in this country in the Malaysian and, and Borneo campaigns, which were kept very hidden from the British public, um, but a lot of people died, hundreds of thousands of people, that that's the establishment, the cruel, wicked, bad establishment. Let's make, you know, a paradise on earth as hippies. And out of that came the Green Movement, which I think has been a wonderful thing. Um, mm. You know, it's... It, this year is the 60th anniversary of um, Silent Spring, Rachel Carson's book um, about how bad pesticides and insecticides can be. DDT apparently is not good for us. She was hounded to her death you know, for, for writing that book, which is a terrible thing. But it started a consciousness which is now perhaps best represented by Greta Thunberg or Greta Thunberg, if you prefer, um, who is an incredibly intelligent young woman who's basically you know fell into a profound depression at the age of five because adults were so stupid they were destroying the planet and a five-year-old could see this and i'm afraid it is that and what we have is a society that doesn't want people to grow up so 
we live in a cult, a massive cult, where the right. advertisers want you to be a perpetual adolescent in need of mollifying with new goods and substances. Right. And yeah, you know, believing your status yeah. is to do with whether you, you know, drive a, a little red Ferrari or, you know, a, a Volkswagen or, you know, wherever you are. Now, I think it's a mistake to think that those status ideas didn't exist among the First Nations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things, so, you know, for example, the Weechol people, whom I tremendously admire, this is a, a little Weechol piece here, they oh, no. disappeared when the, um, the conquistador arrived and made themselves remote. They're particularly well known because of Peotil, that, that mm -hmm. their religion means they have to gather and I think they have to walk something like 300 miles to go back to the place where they used to be to get this stuff. And it's expected that traditionally that every member of the Weechol will make their own clothes. So you can see immediately what sort of person you're dealing with. And wow. um, as somebody who's not tremendously good at sewing, you know, I'd have been in trouble there, especially if you're out on mescaline while you're trying to do it. You know, that would have been really yeah, right. good. Exactly. But there, there is a way of, you know, and that, that whole status thing, if, if we look at the Plains people, um, that one of the great things is the, the notion of generosity, that culturally, you know, the, the fourth element of Evie Blanca's notion of evolution, you have natural selection, sexual selection, epigenetics, but you also have cultural transmission, the fourth dimension, so that a culture can do something that, you know, like the developments of language, for example, which is not coming out of your genes and is passed on and will affect genetic transmission. And it was considered normal among the Plains people, whoever killed the most buffalo, and it used to be quite hard before they had rifles and horses, I would think, but whoever killed the most buffalo would have to give them all away. You had to, and that was a terrible hindrance culturally when these poor people were shoved into reservations and white people would come along and say, oh, I like the look of your horse, and they'd give it to them because it was a culture of generosity. In the north, right. where you get to the the um, potlatch cultures, like the Tlingit, uh, what a beautiful word that is, Tlingit. I love that word. Where they, you know, they built totem poles and had lodges and all of this. The thing was to give away as much as you could and whole tribes bankrupted themselves by wow. giving away everything they possibly could. So it can swing a bit too far. We live yeah. in a culture where it, it's a matter of acquiring as much as you possibly can, which is something that would be considered disgusting to the Lakota or the Cheyenne. Absolutely. Right. Why would you want to do that? You know, you're a squirrel and you've collected enough nuts to live for 10 million years and all around are other squirrels starving. That would be seen as wrong. Yeah, and exactly. Maybe rather than the, you know, manhood being an aspect of how many people you can knock off horses or shoot with a, a bow, if we look to what the real virtues are, what what should we really be if we were to be great human beings? What what would a, a wonderful human being consist of, and how would they behave? And we have the Christian inference, which is you would sacrifice yourself completely. You know, like mm. St. Francis, who right. died at the age, I think, of 44 and apologized right. to the donkey, which is what he called his body, for having abused it by carrying stones up a hill to build a church. Right. And he's, you know, 
quite a remarkable man, brilliant poet, uh, amazing man. But that idea of not having enough for yourself. Also, the bit about kissing lepers, I'm not really keen on. I've got nothing against <laughs> lepers, but, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit of distance, I think. There. Yeah, draw a line there, yeah. So finding out, and, and that's what growing up is, where you determine what the virtues are as far as you're concerned. And I think that in the Western society, most people don't grow up. They never work out what's yeah. good for us and that they should be compassionate and caring and and yet not in the kind of knee-jerk empathy where you you know, I speak as somebody who suffers from the empathy disorder. And um, I, I have just my state pension, if anybody would like to throw money at me at this point. Um, um, because, you know, I want to help people. It makes yeah. me feel good, you know. And yeah. as one of my brothers pointed out to me when I was a teenager, we only do the stuff that we think is going to be good for us. And it may be being mother teresa so that you can be on the tv or around the world or what have you um but so you know i chose to do things that that seemed helpful to other people and i'm i'm absolutely happy with that uh, i would yeah. be even more bitter and twisted than i am if i'd not i'm not bitter and twisted at all it's not true so that sense of adulthood is where i decide what the values are eternal yeah. or otherwise what the virtues are um, and I don't think that, you know, the Romans thought that adulthood, adolescence ended, I think, at 32. Adulthood began at then, and you might live to be 40. <laughs> You're lucky. I yeah. think that's a bit young. I think, you know, that it's more like after 50, and it shouldn't be. We should be teaching kids to take responsibility and to determine for themselves what the virtues are. What should they be doing? What society do they want to be initiated into? You know, is, is it a society where, you know, you have incense and chasubles and thurubles? I don't know what they are, but apparently they're good things. And you sing songs and you praise God and you do all of that stuff. Or is it a society where you care about the people around you and do the best you can to help them um, and the planet? Yeah. You know? No, I mean, I mean, he actually, he, he talks about this as well. He says... Um... The mechanism seems pretty simple. Poor people are forced to share their time and resources much more than wealthy people are. And the result is a closer and more interdependent community than the ones the wealth tends to produce. And then he talks about how, you know, these wealthy societies are the ones that have the highest rates of depression, schizophrenia, poor health, anxiety, chronic loneliness, and all that sort of thing. And he says the findings are in keeping with the self-determination theory. Are you familiar with that? No. I was not either. And it said human beings need three best basic things to be content. They need to feel competent about what they do, meaning autonomy. They need to feel authentic in their lives, competent, you know, uh, competent, and then connected to others, community. These values are, are considered to be intrinsic to human happiness, and they far outweigh the extrinsic values such as beauty, money, and status. So again, I think, Good if, you know, if, if you're able, you know, and again, to relate it back to our favorite subject about, you know, the, how you're trying to kind of seduce someone into a cultic environment, I think very often you're, that's how you're pitching it. You know, this is, this is your chance to have these things. You're going to have a sense of community. You're going to feel authentic. You're going to, you're going to feel good about what you're doing because you're part of some cause. 
um, you know, this is going to be much better than pursuing the average Joe's, you know, beauty, money, status, and position of life. And I think that, you know, I think, you know, they're, they're, again, it's, you know, I, I always try to relay to people that it's always, it seems to be at every, almost every case I've talked to, the, the way people get seduced into these things is by taking their more noble attributes or their more noble perspectives on who they see themselves or how they want to be and use that against them someone. Mm. You know? And I and think- uh, Persuade them that they have a, an invisible enemy inside them that is pro prohibiting them from achieving these exactly. things. And if you just exactly. give us enough money, we will fix <laughs> that for you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, and he says, as 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 modern society reduced the role of community, it simultaneously elevated the role of authority. And I think that's a really strong statement. Um, give me give, give me that one again. I was writing it. So as, as, as modern society reduced the role of community, it simultaneously elevated the role of authority. Mm. But it, yeah, it just a couple of points firstly the the rich live a lot longer than the poor <laughs> um, and the life expectancy um you know 40 to 50 would be quite normal in the 19th century in the 20th century it's gone up because of the access that wealth gives to medicine and and to care and right. to servants you know yeah yeah right exactly um and yeah, I think that, I think those are very valid points, and and we get into a little difficulty on status and position. Mm. Um, and if we're talking about beauty as an attribute of the self, mm. then that's one thing. But if we're talking about the appreciation of beauty, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's that, that's an important thing to clarify. Yeah, mm. and, and and I. I assume I, I I'm assuming I don't know I'm, I'm assuming when he says beauty is more like vanity, you know. Yeah. All lines, you know, um, you know, it's beauty, money, and status. So I think. Uh, yeah, vanity. I think is 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 a better way to look probably, at it, and and which causes way. depression and desperation. Um, among and, and, and also and also I think it's like, like we're saying. It's not clear cut, you know. There's, it's it, it's it's trying to find within that spectrum where you feel you lie, you know. Um, but I think when you're when you're at a position of vulnerability, and you know, which is where where cults tend to prey on people, when you're at a place where you're very undecided as far as these things that we're talking about, as far as what your position is, who you are, what your point of even being here is, all those sort of things. That's when you're most vulnerable, and that's where I think these I, ideals, where which are clearly have validity, can be presented in such a way saying that well, this is what we'll give you, you know, like again for the right amount of money, uh, and uh, and and things can all make so so it 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 tickles that part of our um, inherent kind of um, self identity that 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 I think most of us want to look back in the mirror at someone that kind of represents those things, you know, and. And so if someone's saying, well, here, I've got the answer how to get there, it's really, really tempting, you know, and, it, and, if, and if, you, if you felt you haven't been exposed to that uh, in any real uh, sense, it can feel like the best day that ever happened. You know, and I, and I try to explain that to people all the time, like, like, 
I put it as simply as I just had no game plan. I felt like I should have one. And yeah. I really respected people that had game plans and or people that were super passionate about something. And I hadn't found that yet. So I was incredibly insecure about that. Mm -hmm. And when I met someone in this case, you know, the, in our, my, my group, the, you know, Freddie, this cult leader who uh, was really excited about his game plan and, and certainly could talk a, a lot about it and it certainly sounded a lot better than my no plan. That was, that's where it started. You know, that's where the first kind of screw starts to unloose and you start uh, under, under the guise of freeing your mind. Um, you don't realize you're moving into a, a, a situation that's actually going to be authoritarian and controlling, but it's being presented as like, oh, free, you're going to, we're going to free your mind. You're going to be able to be, find yourself, your purpose, who you are, what it all means. You know, and, uh, and it all sounds great. And I, if I ever write a, a biography, I'll, I think I'll just title it, well, it seemed like a great idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Now I'm not so sure. Part two. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it started very early on. I was about 13 and I was at school and um, very traditional um, authoritarian school where you got hit if, if they didn't like what you're doing. Uh, you know, right. had to wear little caps and blazers and ties and all of that stuff. Best school in the county. And this contradiction really hit me that we were being told that we were meant to be Christian. Um, we'd sing a song in Latin about um, God, country and and school. Those are the th three things. Uh, right. Prodeo, patria, scholae. And yet. So we were told that Christian values were the important values, but we were being taught to be rapacious and exploitative. We were being taught to be leaders of industry. And, and that contradiction, that hypocrisy, struck me very hard. Right. And, you know, going, well, this just isn't true. That, you know, they, they are not promoting. You know, Jesus said um, that, that he who would follow me um, must give all he owns to the poor. I didn't see any of that going on. Um, <laughs> and and so the contradiction was just too much. And then there's that sense inside yourself. And I, and I think it, it'd be good to, you know, for kids to work it out. What do, what do I respect? You know, mm. do I respect the tough guys or, or do I respect the smart guys or what is it I want to do? A good, I want to be a great yeah. chess player or, you know, yeah. What are the values and the virtues? Because what tends to happen is that they kind of unconsciously are there. So when I got involved at 19 with Scientology, I imagined that Ron Hubbard would be the most virtuous of human beings. When I found out that he, he was a foul-mouthed, uh, intemperate, uh, abusive human being, it was a terrible shock to me because I'd got him as this kind of calm buddha who would deal with all situations but that and it was interesting because within a year you know i was never a living member i was very lucky but within a year of joining i'd realized that i was projecting what i considered to be the virtues on this man and and i i went no he's he's as he says he's a human being he also claimed of course to be a decorated war hero not true a nuclear physicist not true and to have studied with gurus in tibet China, India, and Mongolia. I didn't even know there were any gurus in Mongolia. And these are all lies, as, as I have yeah. demonstrated in my work. 
but I believed he was a great man. I believed that he was somebody who had achieved um, equanimity. And that was what I wanted. I got involved with Scientology because my girlfriend had left me. She'd run off with, you know, one of our friends. Right. and was leave She was leaving the country. She was going to go and live in New Zealand. And there was some weird deal that she was going to come back in six months' time, she said. Um, and I, it was, uh, you know, you're 19 and your heart's broken. And worst, worst of all, in my case, I knew I didn't love her. You mm -hmm. know, I think it was just the, the thought of being abandoned. You know, how could, I'm so nice. How could anybody abandon me? And so I went to this group wanting equanimity. I wanted, when anything horrible happened in life, I wanted to be able to deal with it and not be plowed under emotionally. And sad to say, after nine years, I had achieved nothing of that. Absolutely nothing of it. And yeah. it was only by being harassed for 16 years and, you know, Oh, just horrible the things that happened to me. You know, there was a point where I think I was a named party in 10 court cases, and one right. will wipe most people out. I you know, sued in New York. I was sued here. I sued back, which was foolish. Um, friend, former friends were turned against me, started writing affidavits, all of this stuff. And it was a very, very difficult time. And as we said near the beginning of this conversation, those hardships shaped me. Those hardships led me to a place where, you know, I would still be absolutely and utterly devastated if my wife left me because I love her completely and, and utterly. Um, but it doesn't seem very likely. We seem to be getting on pretty well after three years. Um, but I, I, you know, most of the things that would have troubled me, I can deal with those now. I do have that equanimity. And yeah. I have a certain cynicism that, you know, I don't anticipate that the judicial system will be fair or the police will follow the law or, you know, things like this. And with yeah. that understanding, I am not as disappointed. You know, right. I, it, it, you know, it, my wife asked, asked me what my fundamental trait was, some, you know, near the beginning of our relationship. And I said amusement. And she thought that was a bad thing, you know, and it's like, no. I, I will find in the worst situation something that tickles right. me, gallows humor or what what have you, and I'll get through it, you know, as, as a consequence. But I generally delight in life. I find life amusing. I find ideas and, and art amusing and, and get on with that. Returning to the essential notion of tribalism that we haven't mentioned Robin Dunbar and the idea that it the Dunbar number, that a community of about 150 people works. He also says, and I don't think this is holy writ, I think this should be questioned. He's become very famous because of it. But he also says we can only have five close friends and that that's about what we can manage. Um, oh, I don't know if I buy that one, yeah. No, I, I find that, that I have rather more than that. And yeah. you know, I'm extraordinarily lucky in, in that regard. Yeah. But I think there is something about how a community is made yeah. and that, that sense that it, it, a family is, is extends into a tribe and that a, a cult group is a tribe yeah. where, um, as Yuval Loa says, as I think we all know, that the leader becomes the parent, true father in the case of Sun Myung Moon, of course, 
we become siblings within the group members. And this is the bit where Yuval breaks through and gives us a new idea. The cult becomes the baby. The doctrine becomes the baby. So oh, that if you yeah. insult my baby, oh, I see. we become a, totally yeah. protective of, of that. That's a great um, way to look at it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and we see that in looking at the Algonquin. We, we see it in looking at all sorts of communities and cultures. That, And it, it's how, how do I, I find the tribe I should associate with? I think a lot of people, you know, looking at gender issues, um, we, we've just had a, our prime minister, who's our first Hindu prime minister, which is, is nice, isn't right. it? Um, yeah. Tell us that, that you're going to go to the convenience uh, that is the gender you were born as. Mm. And that's going to be the rule now. So if you've had a, a sex change, then mm. um, tough. You know, you've got to go to this one. I mean, my wife sort of said, well, why not do what the Europeans do and have unisex toilets and we'll just get rid of all this nonsense. But what about the one in a thousand people who are born between genders? It's not a matter that they want to transition one way or the other. They're actually born with mixed. Mixed, mixed, right. We now got to set up a special toilets for them, you know. But they... These gender issues, and particularly for transsexual people, I think of the, the, one of the good things about the internet, the World Wide Web, is that people can find their tribe. They can mm-hmm. find other people. One of the right. bad things is they can get angry about everybody else, and and so right. well, I, th- I think I think that I think that's the the potential danger is. And try and trying to seek your tribe, you can in essence get radicalized. Yes. You know? Um, and again, very kind of, I think, inherent to, to um human nature, wanting to find your tribe and just not knowing that that pursuit of that can be bereft with danger. And I think that's where we want to hope to educate and say, listen, it's natural to have those feelings. It's it's part of, you know, again, I think it goes back to the fact that we don't have these rituals and things that you know kind of kind of segmented our lives in a way of well, you know at this point you have to start acting like an adult and what does that mean and then, so now that's a whole blurred and as you said most of us you know in, in society are still children even maybe in their 60s and 70s so this is where um that pursuit of the tribe and their and the unfortunate you know the the these, the, the fact that cults are going to continue to exist as long as this is how our society operates. That's just mm-hmm. the way it's going to work. This mm-hmm. is not going away. No. And I think you've just made the essential point of, of this whole conversation, which is that in seeking a tribe, we are likely to be radicalized. We're likely at first to say, oh, these are my people and join mm-hmm. in. I mean, I remember getting to Scientology and the, I was 19, the, the people at the Scientology Mission franchise um, were in their early 20s. They'd just graduated. They'd all come from Bournemouth, in fact, where they'd graduated. Right. And they were just wonderful people who'd been thoroughly convinced that this is a great idea and it's going to lead to right. wonderful things. And they, you know, I think there's this idea. Firstly, they were all graduates. So the idea of, of cult members being uneducated or stupid is not necessarily true oh, um yeah. 
And they weren't people who were particularly emotionally vulnerable, I don't think. I think they were quite usual young people who were idealistic. They wanted to do something and they found themselves in a society that was not and is not doing the right things. And it was very easy to join that tribe. Mm. And it's very sad to me to think that um, all of those people carried on in Scientology after I left. And now mm. yeah, they're all at retirement age. And I imagine that, that their lives uh, have been horrible as a consequence mm. of them oh, becoming yeah. more taken up. But, but yes, that, that essential point that, that, that you make, that we are likely through our naivety to be drawn into the wrong tribe. And so I think keeping your options open. And you know, one of the most invidious people in our world today is Stefan Molyneux with his Free Domain Radio. And this idea of divorcing yourself from the family of origin, that what's wrong with you is the fact that you grew up in a family and you've oh. got to get out. I met a woman who's 17-year-old had left a note on the pillow and she didn't hear from him again because wow. of this insidious idea. And that's the thing to perhaps keep in mind that to maintain the relationship you have with your friends and with your family, not to to lose those things because that is your tribe you know the, yeah. those people are, and, and you can belong to different tribes that's one of the great things about the modern world you can have different values and hang out with different people i'm you know I, again i'd agree with evia blonka and, and yuval that we adopt friends as siblings you know mm -hmm. that's how i view you if you if you yeah. had some sort of problem in your life and i know if i did in mine we would be there right. to help each other. Yeah. And and that's a, a wonderful thing. But it we don't have to be confined in an ashram or, you know, we can <laughs> have that. Right. That, that's right. No, and I think and I and I think and that and that's is why I think it's such an important topic to kind of address, as we're saying, like uh, this this idea that um you know that, that it can't happen to me. For all these reasons, or why does it happen? I think that you know these these are things that are um, easily answered if addressed uh, in, in the light of like a conversation we had today. Um, you know that that and and looking at the, the the benefits of the tribal thing and and why that's appealing, then also realize that doesn't mean that's also the answer either. There's just there's an attraction to it for some very valid reasons, but there are also some really horrible things going on in tribal communities. So it's not like that's the ideal to pursue either, but there's, there's this kind of understanding of, well, like, like you're just saying, we do want to find those people that we feel when we're around them, we're seen and heard. And, and we feel like there's a, there's a, a kindred spirit. This, it doesn't have to be identical way of thinking, but you know, I mean, we all find friends that we enjoy being challenged by. You know, I mean, so it's not like, Absolutely. oh, I just have to find my like-minded people and we're all going to come into one funnel way of thinking. But I think, yeah, the when you when you don't when you don't know or haven't found your tribe and uh and you and there there is a, a sense of lacking. And I think that's when you're vulnerable. Hmm. I, I think that's true. And on the you know, perhaps finally, because it's come to that time, I think. Yeah. Um Carl Gustav Jung, who who you found out the last time we talked, I, I'm not very keen on. I'm sorry about that. But that was a bit. But he he said that that it was a sad thing that that modern man had lost his myth, mm. and people around him said, "What are you talking about? We have exchanged 
you know, a, a human society cannot exist without a myth and without its initiations. So, for example, hazing in American mm -hmm. universities is a substitute and a bloody horrible one right. for, for initiation ceremonies. And we will substitute these things. And so maybe, um, I think it was yesterday I was talking to Mike Rinder and, and I was reminded of being in Cape Town. And my host, who was tremendous, um, said it was a terrible thing that the African people were losing their traditions and their ways of being. And it had never struck me. I would have agreed with this absolutely. But on that day, I kind of went, so I ought to be doing Morris dancing. You know, I ought to be doing this medieval ritual in a white suit. Surely we need a culture where we can say, you know, the, the Lakota people don't need to do the sun dance for the benefit of tourists. That isn't really maintaining a tradition. It's right. actually getting revenue. Um, yeah. it, and, and that our rituals and we, whatever we call them, they are rituals, the things that we go through, which put us into a state of mind, you know, as you go into a Catholic church and all the, you know, chasubles and thurables that we mentioned before, right. and all of this stuff is going on. That's getting somebody into the state of mind. Mm -hmm. And so they are feeling euphoric. They're feeling connected to their God, to their idea by all of the uniforms and all of the, the music, all of the, the thing that's going on and understanding that and going, okay, that's what's happening. How can I determine my own rituals? What is my myth? What are the stories I believe in? Um, and can I be, to some extent, the master of my fate or the mistress of my fate, not wishing to be right. sexist? Right. Uh, I don't believe we ever do become the captains of our souls. I, I think that there is a certain amount of the situations around us that has an effect on us one way or another. Yeah. But you know, to what extent can I be in charge of that? And also, as, as a little rider to this conversation, isn't it a shame that children aren't encouraged to talk about things? Mm -hmm. Right, you know, rather than the authoritarian, we've got the facts, we'll tell you, you know, because so much comes out in our understanding of ourselves when we have to express ourselves. And so encouraging that, I think, is also a something that that will would make for less cults and less authoritarianism. No, I, I I completely concur, and I you know, and I think you know it's 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 really this type of situation where, um, you know, we we self-identify through our belief system. I mean, that kind of like becomes our representative, you know, of who we. But if you're at that point where you're not really sure what you believe, then you're very vulnerable, and that's where you need to be really careful, you know, and and, and that is a natural part of the process that you're not going to figure out what your belief, especially, you know, those teenage years, early 20s. I mean, anytime, I think anytime a life crisis happens, your, your beliefs are challenged. You know, you're, 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 why, why is this happening now? Where is, where does this play a bigger picture? So I think why is God saying, doing this to me? Yeah, exactly. All of those thoughts that come up. And, so, and it, it, any point of transition, we are vulnerable. You know, it yeah. can be a very positive okay. thing, a new job and a new, country a new place right. new people it's as if we run on on tram lines and yeah. anything that changes in our rituals our habits our routines whatever yeah. you want to call yeah. them makes us 
vulnerable to to change. And when somebody comes along and love bombs us and tell us tells us how absolutely wonderful <laughs> we are, then and then ask for money, the the answer is I don't know you. Go away. <laughs> right. Exactly. Leave me exactly. alone. Or when's the last time you talked to your mum? That's that's the lovely question that Steve has to There you go. Exactly. That's a better question to ask. Well, as always, John, I, I, I love that there, there's actually more. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll tackle something else the next time because he, he gets into um, uh, PTSD and the soldiers and, and also how like mm -hmm. like the Blitz, he uses the Blitz as a great example of they were so worried about how people would behave once the bombing happened and there would be total anarchy. But the truth was because the rich and the poor all got, we're all getting bombed that people actually came together in this sense of community and actually really, you know, they didn't need police or anything. People were just incredible the way like, and those, and, and how disasters bring out some of our better human nature that mm -hmm. you would see in a real community. And so of course, then once the danger is gone, people retreat back to their camps, but it is interesting to see that given that, and he actually uh, references even disaster movies to show that, that that's what we always, we always have something horrible happening and that's what it takes for us to kind of rise up and be the good guy, mm. you know, and it's yeah. fascinating. I mean, yeah. the Blitz is, is incredible because you have mass observation functioning there and I'm, I'm not sure that anything like it has existed. And it started in the 30s where sociologists were collecting the diaries of ordinary people. And so yeah. we have such a window on that period where, at first, you have Winston Churchill saying, you can't go down into the underground and use it as a shelter. And the people just saying, sod you. And yeah, did it. Yeah, no, and exactly. then you had, that, as you say, that, that fear that, that there would be a kind of neurotic collapse among the people. And in fact, people just normalized it. They said, oh, yeah, we've been bombed again. So, I mean, my yeah. my mum was, you know, yeah. lived through yeah. aerial bombardment. What a thought, you know. Yeah. So, so we'll, we'll chat about that maybe the next time. That'd be fun. Yeah, we'll be. resolve those issues next time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, always great to see you. Likewise. Yeah. Thanks so much. And um, thank you for watching, listening, and uh, yes, everyone, please take part. Always, yes, please, please. Look forward to hearing everyone's comments. We got some very nice comments the last time from our conversation. This is very great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's getting more and more. And, and I, I, I used to, you know, I don't have, sadly, I don't have the time to answer all the comments and I apologize for that because there are so many of them now. And yeah. um, so many people, are, you know, when I feel sort of disheartened about time put into yeah. doing this, it, it's always refreshing that um, so many people are so kind about yeah. you know, what, what we're doing. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that now, the situation is that comments are being answered by other people. So I don't have to answer them. Ah, Spike doesn't have to answer them. That people are having conversations. And that, that's and that, what I that's the ideal. When you, I mean, I think it's all about fostering conversation, improving communication. And and uh, I think that's 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 the 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 best case scenario. I love hearing that that's happening. That's great. Yeah. And and you know, we we are in the you know, the danger of being considered to be gurus. And I just want to make it really clear that we're not, that we're fallible <laughs> yeah. human beings uh, <laughs> and very glad to be corrected. And as long as it's, you know, nicely done, yeah. <laughs> don't want to be insulted too profoundly. And that does happen occasionally in the comments. Yeah. Um, apparently, I don't know anything about politics, somebody was saying, which is probably 
true. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, and I don't live in America. So how would I know about politics? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I ever want to learn too much about politics. Yeah, yeah it's a shady business, is what I've learned. Yeah. But uh, okay, it's been great okay. as ever, and we will oh. do it again soon. Until Thanks the next time, John. Yeah. Cheers, Hoyt. Hi, John here. Thanks for watching. We'd appreciate it very much if you would click like, as well as subscribe, and click the bell for notifications. Every dollar helps and we welcome new patrons on Patreon. We can make a one-off payment with any currency through PayPal. Thanks so much.